Today's episode of the Strength Talk podcast, hosted by UpDoc Media, is brought to you by the Arc from Verve. If you want to improve your posture, the Arc has you covered. Developed by a physical therapist, designed by an engineer, made in the USA, the Arc is going to improve your posture and relieve that neck and back pain once and for all. What is up, guys? Welcome to the brand new Strength Doc podcast, hosted by UpDoc Media, with me, Dr. John Russin. I want to get one thing clear. This is not going to be your average fitness podcast, and I'm sure as hell not your run-of-the-mill strength coach. What's going on, guys? Dr. John Russin back with a brand new episode of Strength Doc Podcast, hosted by UpDoc Media. I am joined today by another awesome guest, Tony Gentlecore. Tony has really left his mark on the sports performance and fitness industry in the last decade or so. Being a figurehead over at Cressy Sports Performance, in my opinion, one of the top facilities in the world for athletes of all kinds, but also on his website, TonyGentleCore.com, and many of the other publications that he writes for, including Men's Health, T-Nation, and a bunch of others. I was glad to catch up with Tony on this episode because he's in transition mode right now, moving away from Cressy Sports Performance, opening up a couple different new endeavors, and continuing to speak and write with the best. Let's get right into this week's episode with Tony Gentlecore. What's going on, guys? Dr. John Russin back with a brand new episode of Strength Doc Podcast hosted by UpDoc Media. Today, I am joined by Coach jo- Tony Gentlecore. What's going on, Tony? John, what's up? Finally, we're on. Finally. I always say this. At the beginning of every episode, I'm like, oh, finally we have you on. But I've realized that because we bring on such great guests on Strength Talk Podcast that it's hard to coordinate schedules. And I appreciate you being here. Well, you know, being now that I'm a married man and I, I, I'm basically juggling two schedules and, you know, I, I left Krusty Sports Performance. It's, it's been a little bit hectic, but I thank you for your patience for not thinking I was big leaguing you. And, uh, you know, it's it my pleasure to come on. So I'm, I'm happy to do it. Well, you've definitely been a guy that people are asking to get on this show, uh, just from your background in sports performance, also personal training, and then your big presence uh, on the online platform. So running your website, being featured on T Nation, a bunch of print magazines. So I'm very excited to get a couple questions answered just for yeah. me personally, because I always love to pick the brains of the guys that I look up to. And you're definitely one of those guys oh, that I've been not- reading for 10 years, man, 10 years. You know, I was it's going back into the archives, yeah. 10 years on T Nation. Like, that's nuts. Like, yeah. I, was, I was reading you when I was uh, in grad school. Jeez, and I, I feel like the, the roles are reversed here. Like, I'm, look, I'm looking up to you in the content. You're, like, <laughs> pumping out two articles a week. Like, you own – it's like it should be called, instead of T Nation, John, the place John, John Russin writes all his articles. So, it's like, <laughs> like it's amazing. That's what happens <laughs> when you have a newborn at home and, like, they're up constantly. You just have, like, a lot of downtime where you look at each other and you can write articles. <laughs> oh, yeah, but, I mean, when then I think when they start walking and moving around a little bit more, it might be a little bit harder. Oh, but... I'm going to be screwed. You're going to know exactly <laughs> when – Cameron starts walking because as soon as I don't have any more articles up, you'll know yeah. that's the reason. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think Eric, Eric's kind of going through that to that debacle right now, but he has two twins or two two twin, and then he's I know he's suffering a little bit with uh, the amount of writing that he can't do, but obviously you know he's having the time of his life, you know, raising two beautiful daughters. But I, I definitely uh, um, looking at what he's gone through with having two kids and having to like juggle family life and. You know his writing schedule. Um, it's definitely taking a blow, but that that should should go by the wayside soon. 
Oh man, I I couldn't imagine having two newborns at home. Oh, I mean, man. one's enough. I and, couldn't believe it. I mean, like, we have a daughter that's six too, so she's very helpful. She's old enough where she's okay, helpful okay, yeah, yeah. around the house. But I mean, even without her, I don't know what we'd be doing. I'm like, oh, oh my god. <laughs> so I I I he he would walk into the facility at times like a zombie, and I'd be like, nope, I'm I'm out. I'm not doing I'm not doing that. Like, <laughs> like so. Um, but no, he's, he's still getting all, all his work done. So he's, he's something, not only is he that, but he's juggling two facilities and he's like a Terminator. I don't, I don't, I don't know where he, how, where or how he does it. So I think there's two of him. <laughs> yeah, probably two of everything, <laughs> right? Now, speaking a little bit to, uh, your new transition in your yeah. career, because obviously you were a figurehead over at Cressy Sports Performance for the better part of the last decade. And you, you just switched, uh, facilities, right? Yeah. It's, um, that, you know, it's something that was kind of in my head for a year or two. Um, you know, they say like everyone kind of goes through, a you know, one or two or three major career changes. And and their life in their lifetime. Not that this is a, a career change for me, but yeah. What are you um, teaching yoga now? <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, you know Zumba on the side. Um, you know, and it's something as far as transitioning and doing my own thing. You know, I would say you know for the past year or two, it's, it's kind of been in the back of my head, like you know, doing some more stuff in Boston, and um, you know, not to mention I was traveling to and from the facility. It was forty five minute drive both ways. And, um, you know, after eight years of doing that, it just kind of took its toll <laughs> and, uh, you know, and Pete and Eric were very supportive and, and they, they, they kind of knew it was going to be coming at some point. And, you know, I'm obviously very indebted to being there for, you know, from the start, it was literally me, Eric and Pete Dupuy at the very beginning and, you know, building it to what it is now and being around the coaches like Greg Robbins and Tony Bonvecchio and Miguel Aragoncillo, you know, it's a great staff. And honestly, the thing I miss most is being around the other coaches. Uh, Cause I think you can relate to this too. It's like, they're the ones that kind of keep you sharp Yeah. and you know, you can discuss topics and discuss technique and, you know, staffing services and not to mention busting each other's balls and <laughs> that making fun of me for listening to Tiesto and you know, all that stuff. But you know, it, it, and talking to my wife and and stuff like that, it, it was just it was just time to go. Like it was time to turn the page, and you know, having the opportunity to build a brand within a brand right. um, has definitely been a, a great thing for me. Um, you know, it, it, in the sense of me building my website and my name via under the umbrella of Crusty Sports Performance and being an ambassador for that brand, and I still am an ambassador of the brand. So it's not like I'm like erased from the history of. Crusty sports performance for leaving, but um, you know I, I worked my butt off for for eight years and kind of did and build my own brand within the brand and you know it, and then it came down to okay what can I do to what's going to be the next chapter and I am not interested in opening up my own facility like that is not something that I have any at least at this juncture any remote interest in so I had an opportunity rise where I could be within a mile and a half of my own apartment and rent time at an already existing studio here in Boston. It's called Run Strong Studio. And um, Rebecca Breslow is the woman who owns it. And when I met with her, um, it was a it was kind of a win-win right from the get-go. She's like, hey, you can bring in some equipment. You can train your own clients here. You only have to pay rent for when you use it. And I was like, all right, done, let's do it. And, um, you know, and, and it's, it's been great. Like, I've been doing it for a little over a month now. Uh, I'm building a clientele. You know, and obviously it's helped having a 
a reputation within the industry via my website and social media. So, you know, and I, I haven't had to use those buzzwords like hustling and grinding and getting up, <laughs> like, which I hate. <laughs> I hate that. Um, you know, and I did that when I first started in this, in this field, like I had to get up at quarter of three, quarter of four in the morning, twice a week to open the gym and work in the mornings, do a split shift. You know, I did that for years. Um, then I helped build a facility from the ground up for years. And now I'm at a point where I can be coaching for 15 hours a week. And then on the side, I can still keep up with my writing. I can still keep up with traveling and doing workshops. And it's a pretty chill schedule. And I, I love it. And, you know, again, like I said, it's not, I, I'm not interested in owning my own facility. And that's not to say that my, that might not happen years down the road because you can never say never. But, you know, I, I kind of like this scenario. Like, I don't have to worry about a lot of overhead. Like, I don't have to hit, like, this uh, this huge rent every month. I don't have to worry about paying employees. I don't have to worry about you know, all that stuff, you know, and insurance and liability and, and all that stuff. I mean, I have liability insurance from a personal standpoint, but, um, yeah, it's been great so far. So I, I bought a bunch of equipment through rogue and elite FTS and all the big, the big guys and, you know, put in some, all I have is a rack. I have power blocks. I have plates. I have, I have bars. Um, and my clients, we get after it. So, um, I'm there four days a week. And then, like I said, I'm writing and still doing my workshops and, I'm I'm loving life right now. It's it's pretty cool. Man, that, that's great to hear too because like you said, your name is always going to be associated with Cresty Sports Performance, which is going down as a legendary facility. But I feel like at this venture, this time in your life that you can open up your time and really do your one thing, which is yeah. training people and not having to worry about one other thing. Obviously, there's going to be things here and there, but if you can go and give your full effort like we were talking about before uh, we went on air here to a couple clients a day as opposed to you know 12 to 14 hours yeah. a day, it just opens up your mind so much as a coach, but also as a thinker to start to really use it in a, in a vicious circle with your content, but also with your coaching, your speaking, everything together and really synergizing. Yeah, I, I can't agree with that more. Like I, I'd be lying if I said that my clients now are getting their asses kicked because <laughs> I, I literally, like you said, I go in and I might have like a, a three hour stretch of five to six clients because I do semi-private and like I'm writing all their programs, so everyone gets their own individualized program. I do their assessment and all that, but they have their own program that they're working off of, and I'm fresh for those for those hours. Like, you know, as I alluded to earlier, like when I started off in the industry, like any other commercial gym personal trainer, you know, you work the split shift, you work in eight, ten, twelve hour days. You know, by the time your seventh, eighth, ninth client comes around, you're you're like a zombie. Um, you're not very motivated. You're just kind of like going through the motions and, you know, you're, you're on your third or fourth energy drink. Um, <laughs> you know, your, your own training kind of goes to the wayside. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like you're putting your clients and their health being health and well-being before your, your own yep. and you're exhausted. And, you know, I did that and I didn't enjoy it, which is why back in the day I pursued, um, generating other sources of income via writing, via distance coaching, and via building my own website. Um, you know, I, I saw that as a way to augment my income to the point where I could probably kind of divvy up to two as far as percentage-wise, like where my income is coming from. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and that's based off providing quality content consistently. You know, so, you know, back in what you said, I've been writing on Teen Nation for 10 years. So 2006, 
I, in that around the areas when I started writing for other websites and magazines and started blogging on a consistent basis. And you know, I, I saw that as an opportunity to kind of wean myself away from those long, drawn out hours as a personal trainer. Um, and when we opened up Cressy Sports Performance in 2007, you know, again, very long hours. You know, when you're building a a, a business in a facility, um, you know that that's hard work. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we and we we had a little bit of a a head start in the sense that Eric was already a, a very well known name in the industry. I was kind of building my name at the time, so we had and and we had a client roster of thirty to forty people right out of the gate. Um, which made it easy. So it's like we weren't like hustling to get a bunch of clients out of the gate there either. And then it was just word of mouth that kind of gradually built um, into what it was today to now where it's like 15,000 square feet. We're recognized all over the world. Yeah. That's great. But, um, but yeah, I couldn't agree more. Like right now, you know, like I said, I, I'm, I'm training clients 15 hours a week. And that is important to me. Like I think you can agree with this too. It's like I don't want to be the guy that that's on the internet writing about how to train people and yet not training people. Oh no, those uh, are the worst. <laughs> I hate that. And you know, you know, I've gotten a little bit of flack from people, which I don't really waste my time on. Where it's like, oh, you you know, you're only coaching 15 hours a week. I was like, yeah, so <laughs> like, I've been doing this for 13 years. Like, it's not like my knowledge base has somehow decreased because I went from coaching 40 hours a week to 30 to 15. Um, you know, I'm still able to practice what I preach, change my way of doing things, try stuff out, use my clients and athletes as guinea pigs, and and kind of see what works and sticks, and change my 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 mindset with a lot of things. But um, you know, it's very important to me from a, an integrity standpoint to still be actually coaching people in person, um, in conjunction to doing my writing and my distance coaching and stuff like that. So. And my my schedule's pretty chill. Like today, literally, I, I I wrote a blog post. I went to BU, did my workout. I'm doing a podcast with you later on. I'm going to write an article for Stack Magazine. Um, I'll 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 catch up on email correspondence with my distance coaching clients, and then my wife and I will have dinner and we'll finish watching Jessica Jones on Netflix. <laughs> you know, it's uh it's not a bad day. You know, and you know, and when I am training my client, like my next day I train clients is tomorrow evening. You know. I'm gonna feel very fresh and, vi and and vibrant and and ready to 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 train my clients well. So um, it's a win-win, I think, on both sides of the the, the fence here. Yeah, for sure. Uh, now going back to something that you said, you know, we've both done it. I used to do 60 plus hours a week. You know, spending yeah. my time between the clinic and also the gym. You know, at the peak of my work career in person, I was doing. 4 a.m. was my first session of physical therapy. I would do it until 4 p.m. and then I'd train from 4 to 8. And, oh. I mean, literally working on people because we do a lot of manual therapy. First of all, people do physical therapy 4 in the morning? Uh, yeah. Uh, so we had a lot of uh, – so at the time, I had a lot of traders. So they would okay, have to okay, get in for their 6 a.m. And yeah, yeah. so they do physical therapy for 45 minutes to an hour. Then they did their sessions and then they'd be in 6 a.m. when the market opened. But I mean, I remember just going for three or four months and I had to take a vacation. Like I was never a vacation guy. Like I always wanted to grind, like you said, but it was something that just like, just was horrible after like a year or two of doing that. You know, we backed yeah. it off a little bit. We backed it off a little bit and then making the transition. I'm currently doing somewhat of what you're doing now with uh, maybe 20 hours a week of in-person work. And you're just able to offer your clients so much more because your so. energy level is so high your focus is on point 
and you can provide a, a better experience for them with a more focused treatment or session, whatever it may be. That's really the best part of their day. And, and John, are you doing are you doing one on one or semi private? Like, what's your format? <laughs> so I was uh, I was doing one on ones. And I was splitting time. So my wife is a trainer as well. So we do uh, a physio slash uh, performance training session. So they come one-stop shop and do about 25 to 30 minutes of physio base. And then they come in for an additional hour and train with my wife. But, you know, since having the little guy at home, I actually do everything. So everything that happens in Madison, Wisconsin is one-on-one with me, whether it be training or physical therapy. So so even with uh, the hours uh, that we have currently, it's still a lot of contact time with uh, one individual yeah, it it's like man you're sick of me by the time you have to leave <laughs> like, I'm, but, I'm done with this guy i know my question to you was though for the trainers uh, we have a lot of trainers that listen into strength doc podcasts do you think uh training you know those 12 hour days those 14 hour days is that sustainable i don't think so like i think i i forget where i read it or who said it it might have been alan cosgrove um where he said like it the average commercial gym trainer is, is going to burn out after two years holding that schedule. And um, I've seen it done. Like, I mean, yeah. I, when I, I started off in corporate fitness, then I kind of augmented into or parlayed into commercial gyms. And when I moved to Boston, uh, I was at a, a, a very high-end, swanky commercial gym right in downtown Boston. And, you know, I thankfully didn't fall into this because, again, like I, I started doing my writing and stuff like that. But, um you know, there are plenty of trainers who are there at the butt crack of, in the dawn, 5 a.m. They train people from 5 to 10 or 11, and they might have like a two-hour gap where they get their lunch, maybe train themselves, and then they're right back at it from like 3 to 6, and, and it's just like a, every like six days a week, if not seven, and people burn out. And not only do you burn out, but I think the quality of your coaching is going to diminish. Um, your enthusiasm is going to diminish, and 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 continually, Ed, I think, diminishes too. Um, you're 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 less inclined to, you know, when you're working twelve hour days, six days a week, you're less inclined to go to the one day workshop or the two day right. workshop on the weekend, and like you're just kind of like you're just kind of like just dragging ass through the weekend, um, you know, which is unfortunate because I mean I, I've you know, I roll my eyes at them, but I, I I worked with trainers back in the day who literally had the mindset that oh I've already learned what I need to learn, and <laughs> no I'm good, and I'm just like you're you're an ass bag, like don't like I was just like that's that's a horrible attitude. That's a physical but, therapy know, mindset right there. <laughs> uh, sometimes yeah, and but but honestly, like when somebody's working that kind of a schedule, I certainly can't um, belittle them or like hold them, you know, put you know, point my finger at them because I would be exhausted. You know, I'd want to spend my Sunday just to take a nap and like, you know, relax. So, but I think it, 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 it's pretty much across the board that when, when trainers are working that kind of a schedule, you know, two years is kind of like the average before they're like, before they kind of like wipe their hands, like I'm done with this, I'm, I'm, I'm doing something else. So, which is why I feel in this day and age, uh, it is important to, you know, use, uh, the internet and social media to your advantage, um, which can be a double-edged sword because there's plenty of trainers out there who are putting out garbage content and really making a name for themselves because, you know, they, they post provocative pictures of themselves or, (laughs) you know, you know what I mean? Absolutely. And, um, you know, so there's a little bit of a double-edged sword there, but, you know, I think, you know, again, I, I, I was in a very good situation in the sense that, you know, Eric and I became fast friends at, 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 back in the day over a decade ago. And that obviously, 
transitioned to a business relationship, which which worked out well. And you know, we were able to set our own schedule and 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 make Cressy Sports Performance what we wanted to make it. And um, we were successful with it. And then you know, we didn't. We started very small. Um, that is something where Pete Dupuis, who is Cressy Sports Performance's business director, is adamant on that, and Eric is as well. Like when 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 people are in, in into the point where they do want to open up their own place or their own facility, to start small. <laughs> like yeah. Cressy Sports Performance started at 2,200 square feet, you know, tiny, and you know, and built and had a few buildouts to the point where it is now. And you know, I'm working at a spot now in Boston that's 800 square feet. <laughs> and it's tiny like but i'm still able to get a lot done yeah and you know like i think a lot of trainers think this mecca is to oh i'm gonna i'm gonna own my own facility and do my own thing and you know and and that's not that's not necessarily the glory days because there's a lot of hard work that goes into that and there's a lot of other things that come into play when it comes to business management and learning payroll and you know like liability insurance and equipment maintenance and who's going to do the janitorial stuff who's going to do the booking who's going to do the tracking of sessions and then not to mention who's actually going to coach the people so um you know you know opening up your own facility isn't necessarily the 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 mecca which is why like i feel like i'm in a good situation now where it's like okay i'm subleasing you know i've been able to build my brand for so many years and you know I'm, I'm I'm in a good spot, and I'm not saying everyone has to get to the point where they're doing what I'm doing, but you know, being a commercial gym trainer and and doing the the twelve hour workday six seven days a week is tough, very tough. Right. You, and I have should... a lot of respect for that. I mean, that's I mean, there's and there's a lot of trainers that do a very good job, but you know, it, it, it that definitely is a grind. Yeah, it, it's hard to be a master at more than one thing. So if you want to sure. be a master businessman, you know, maybe owning your own facility one day will be for you. But if truly uh, your mind is in education and content development and really coaching, I don't know if adding that business aspect into point. things is the best possible thing. If you look out there of all the personalities in the fitness industry, I mean, there are few and far between that own and operate a full-time facility and also are able to produce content, go out and speak and do all the other things that are kind of those ancillary things alongside yeah. of the actual training. Yeah. And the, I mean, we know the names that are doing both things for a reason, but few and far between. I mean, you have to put 110% into anything that you're doing and you just have to figure out uh, what your one thing is. You know, if it's yeah. training, be a trainer. If it's uh, being a sports performance physio, like do that. If it's owning a business and trying to monetize it, do that. But it's very, very hard to juggle those three things. And it kind of goes to the the four-hour work week, right, where he talks about some people are uh, entrepreneurs, some people are the architect. And I forgot the third one. There's a third one too. Um, it's eluding my mind at the moment. But me, I'm I am an architect. Like I, I like coaching. I like being on the floor coaching. That was my strong point in, in, the, in the confines of Cressy Sports Performance was being on the floor and being a coach and writing programs. Um, Pete was the business guy. Like right. he went to, he got his master's in business. Like his job was to do the business stuff, which then allowed Eric and I to be the co. And Eric's kind of like in everything. Like he, he, like I said, he, he's a terminator. Like no, he doesn't, <laughs> he can't turn it off. And that, and that's very much why he's been very successful. Like he's one of those guys I, I think you're alluding to who yes. run a business and is able to produce content. Um, but he's also built a, a brand where you know people are doing their jobs, and and you know he's been able to like delegate stuff to people. 
Um, but yeah, it's like I, I myself, I view myself. I'm not. I mean, I'm an art entrepreneurial to to a degree. Like, I mean, you don't you don't run a website and make that a thing, and you know, do all this other stuff without knowing a little bit of a business sense. But um, definitely more of a an architect, which is why I'm not at this juncture really re- remotely interested in opening ever opening up my own facility. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty much the same, man. Like yeah. uh, you and I are the same, but I, I am just lucky to have a wife that really knows the uh, other side of things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, That's the key too. for all you young trainers out there. Marry somebody that knows yeah. opposite of what you know. <laughs> somebody who is very understanding and uh, understands that, yeah, that's uh, that this, this lifestyle is basically the, the opposite of what, like we work when everyone else rests. Exactly. Now, I mean, now Lisa's in the industry as well, right? She's yeah, in uh, psychology, yeah. sports performance. She's, she's a psychologist. She has her doctorate in sports psychology. Um, so she's a, a mental health therapist at a school here in Boston, and she does private practice on the side. But um, when I went to Australia back in March, um, I did two workshops there in a span of a week. And um, she, I actually had her present for an hour at one of my workshops where talking about mindset and because I mean as personal trainers and coaches a lot of the battle is getting into people's heads and figuring out you know despite us telling them what they should be doing what they need to be doing what is it that's preventing them from doing it um it's not an it's not an education thing it's more of like what is the barrier that's preventing them from doing the stuff that we want them to do or what is it that's making them make these irrational decisions um and that's 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 kind of her wheelhouse. Like she's the psychologist. Like I'm, she's the Jedi of the two of us. Like the <laughs> real, the real Jedi. Like I I kind of talk about it and joke about it, but she literally is a Jedi. And um, you know, so I had her speak to all the the trainer, the, the group of trainers and coaches that I was speaking to in Australia, and they ate it up. Like they were in. Like it almost was to the point where I felt like I could have just like walked away for the rest of the day, and they would have been perfectly content <laughs> just, just listening to Lisa talk for for five hours. Um, you know, and then just recently she teamed up with, uh, a friend of ours, Artemis Scantilides, who's a, a brilliant coach here in Boston, her and her, her partner, Eric Gahn, uh, run Iron, Iron Body Studio and, um, which is a kettlebell place yep. and her, her, well, Artemis has been doing her own thing. It's called, I am not afraid to lift. Um, she, I think she's done probably four or five. Um, and then she invited Lisa to take part in one of them. It was in Boston about a month ago. Um, where they literally did a whole day workshop together, and Lisa spoke about mindset, and 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 people loved it to the point where now they're teaming up again twice next year. I think they're doing one in Maryland, um, and I think they're going to be in Miami as well. Um, and it's 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 kind of targeted towards women, um, and like teaching them okay how to hip hinge, how to squat, how to do a swing and get up. Like Artem, that's Artemis. What Artemis does, but yeah. then Lisa speaks to you know the mindset of it, like why you know, the negative self-talk and like what, what, what thoughts in her head get in the way of, of achieving a goal. And, um, yeah, I couldn't be more proud of her. She, she's, she's doing an awesome job and it's, it's kind of very, it's very cool to see her step into my industry to a degree. I mean, she's in the health industry. I mean, she's a psychologist, but, um, it's been very cool to kind of get her within my circle, um, and see her succeed. So I'm excited to see what happens with her moving forward. Man, you and Dean have to sign her to a contract for yeah. the next couple of years. You're gonna get yeah. her stolen away. So it's like, yeah, and Dean and I have discussed like having her like do one with us too because I think we're we're planning on doing a a European trip next next spring, and uh, obviously our wives are gonna be involved with that because we're not gonna go to Europe and they're not they're not gonna not want to come. Yeah, you couldn't let that <laughs> so, one down. <laughs> so 
Um, you know, I think Lisa might jump in on, on one of those or maybe do one. We're thinking about maybe doing one in Austin, Texas as well, um, where Lisa can jump in on that. So, yeah, I, Dean and I have definitely discussed it. Don't worry about that. <laughs> now, now, how has the osmosis effect in the gentle core household uh, enhanced you as a coach in the last couple of years? Like is it through through uh, Lisa, you mean? Yeah, through Lisa. Yeah, she's you know she's my she's my biggest advocate and champion. Like you know I, we've been together for six years, and if anyone's had the biggest effect on my career outside of like Eric and Pete, and you know being around Christy, it's, it's been her. Like she's kind of been the impetus of me pursuing writing more and doing pre- and presenting more. I remember distinctly. My very first speaking engagement was here in Boston. I think it was back in uh, 2010. I was invited to speak where she was actually te- she was an adjunct professor at Wheelock College, and her friend um, was responsible for all the incoming freshmen and doing like the week long like introduction stuff. And she wanted me to come in and speak to the incoming freshman class about nutrition, <laughs> which you know that's not my. I mean, I know cheeseburgers. <laughs> I know about nutrition, but not like I'm not like Cassandra Forsyth or Mike right. Russell. Like that, or Berardi. Um, I mean, I know a little bit, um, but she just wanted me to come in and kind of speak to the class about making better food choices in the cafeteria and how nutrition can make you feel better, and like, etc. So I was like, all right, I'll do it. Um, I and I distinctly remember the night before I woke up in the middle of the night, like in a panic. Like I was like, oh my, <laughs> what the fuck did I just sign up for? Like I'm going to speak in front of 300 kids. And like, it's, it's going to be a failure. Like, why, why am I doing it? Like, and I was this close to like calling in sick. Like I can't <laughs> do it. And she, as a psychologist, she, she talked me through it. She's like, you know, what's the worst that could happen? Like she, she just talked me through it. And to the point where I showed up, I did it, I crushed it. Um, but she knew that if I, if I ended up not doing it, that it would, it would have done more harm than good. Um, and that that and that's just a very very simple example of the type of stuff that she's helped me pursue and do and succeed in. And um, but yeah, it's uh, you know being being a psychologist is, is there's not that we argue a lot, but there's no there's no winning of arguments when you're <laughs> trying to like talk down a psychologist. Like there's like you know, there's, it's, it's it's quite amusing at times. I'm just like God damn it, I can't like you know, so, she's in my head. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So you've really taken a lot from her and it sounds eerily familiar of uh, my wife and I and the way that we run the business and the things that she's pushed me into. But I think having like that champion, like you said, with you, uh, whether it's a business partner, whether it's a significant other or just a friend, um, that's huge because nobody's truly self-made. It's all team effort to get to where you are. Well, it's that saying they always say you're you're the average of the five people you surround yourself the most with. Or something like that. Yeah. yeah, it sounds. So I mean, you you figure with me, it's been it's been my wife, it's been Eric, it's been Pete, um, you know, guys like Dean, um, you know, Ben Bruno, uh, you know, there there are a lot of quality people who I've spent a lot of time with, and you know, I've been fortunate enough to call friends and colleagues and people I love, and uh, um. Yeah, I mean, I, I I hope everyone has like the five people. I mean, everyone listening, I hope you have five people at the top. You're like, yep, this person, this person, this person. They're my, those are my rocks. Those are the people that um, have helped me the most and are my champions. And um, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more on that point. Yeah, uh, it's it's so huge. And I think uh, when somebody looks at like the name Tony Gentlecore, they go to your site, they read your articles all over the place. 
uh, it's just like this mystical name, right? And <laughs> I, I think, uh, you know, you moving into running your workshops and your speaking engagements and getting up there and actually talking instead of writing, it really humanizes people. Ooh, yeah, it's, uh, I, try, I try to write how I talk. Um, and, and, and thankfully, you know, whenever I do travel and people finally meet me in person, that that's exactly what they tell me. It's like, oh my God, like you talk and, and interact with me like, like you, like you write. And that, and that's kind of how I want to come across. Like, I mean, and you obviously anyone who reads my stuff knows that I don't take myself too seriously. Um, I do use a lot of humor and pop culture references and movie references in my writing. And I do feel like that is why that is part of the reason why a lot of people like reading my stuff is that I'm not just like this robotic strength and conditioning coach that all I talk about and breathe about and read about and eat about is is deadlifts and squats and biomechanics and glenohumeral internal rotation deficit <laughs> and extension based back pain like I'm th- that's not me like I I love movies I love my cat I love <laughs> I love eating food like and I and I like discussing that kind of stuff and I do feel you know, when I first started writing, T.C. Luoma, the, the chief editor of Teen Nation, gave me the best piece of advice ever. He's like, people want infotainment and they, yes. they, they want to be, be informed, but they also want to be entertained. And I mean, and you know as well as I do, like there's a lot of brilliant coaches out there that do really good writing, but it's just very hard to read. Right. Um, to the point where after two paragraphs, I'm like blacked out and I'm like, I don't remember <laughs> Like I look, I read super training and I'm just like, I don't fucking know what I just read. And, you know, and I'll be the first one to admit, I've never read that book in its entirety. And, but there, there are just some very brilliant coaches out there. Um, and that's not to belittle their information. It's still top notch. It's just not fun to read. And, um, and that's kind of like when he told me that phrase, I was like, Oh, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, I can, I can add a little bit of humor in my, in my writing and it's going to keep people more engaged and hopefully get them to read a little more than four paragraphs and, you know, get through an entire article and hopefully they've learned something, which in large part, I think people do. Um, you know, I'm, that's not to say that I'm like the, the greatest coach in the world or that I'm always right. Or what I say is, is like the end all be all of what needs to be done. Cause that's certainly not the case, but you know, I, I, I tend to think that a lot of people appreciate my writing because I do give good content um, I give them useful information. Like there's a point to the article. Like here's a problem I see. Um, here's how we're going to fix it. Um, and here are a couple of He-Man jokes to go along with it. You know, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So, um, and I think I, I really do feel like that's a, a part of the reason why um, people gravitate towards my writing and they keep coming back, which is great. You know, it's, it's a formula that works for me. It doesn't work for everyone. Like, and I always tell a lot of young trainers coming up who are like, oh, I'm interested in writing. I want to get my stuff out there. What should I do? Um, number one, do it. Like if you, if you want to write, you need to write. I mean, there's no, there's no easy way around that, but be who you are. Like if you're not funny, don't try to be funny. Right. Um, if you want to be like the serious, like, you know, like, like I'm giving content biomechanics and like, there are plenty of people out there who get a hard on for reading that kind of stuff. Um, and that's, and if that's your wheelhouse, then that's your wheelhouse and you should stick to it. So um, I was lucky enough to find mine and, and people kind of like it. So um, I'll continue to do it. People absolutely love that. And I, I love that term you use, the, the infotainment. Uh, that's the yeah. first time I've heard that. And that's so smart because that's the same kind of thing I try to do with my writing. Like, exactly. I never yeah. want to be bland. Like I could break down the anatomy and the biomechanics as good as anyone, but 
Who's going to read that? Nobody wants to hear that. And if your goal as a coach or as a writer or as whatever is to broaden out your audience as much as you possibly can yep. to positively impact your audience, you have to keep them entertained. You know, yep. if you don't have an entertaining first paragraph, people aren't going to read the rest of it. Yeah. If you don't really uh, segment your article to the point where you're keeping it fresh and having, you know, those little Kardashian jokes and that kind of stuff in there, you know, people are not going to continue to read. And the the true people that want to go out and read research are going to read research. For 99% of the population, uh, nobody's going to sit down and read a 90-page yeah. research study. They're going to read an abstract, maybe, if that. But for the rest of the population, they just want one or two tidbits out of an article that they can take home and they can put action to right away. Mm -hmm. And they want to be entertained while they know that information. I mean, we live in an Americanized society where people want things quickly and they want to laugh while they learn. I mean, yeah. that's just how it is. I mean, my daughter's in kindergarten now and the stuff that she comes home with, um, you know, it's all entertainment, but she's learning stuff too. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I remember yeah. when I was in kindergarten, I was like, holy shit, I didn't do any of this stuff. Like, <laughs> what school did I to go to? Like, yeah, I exactly. think I turned out okay. I don't know. But yeah, and it's, it's uh, like, it's totally I, like I, that. I can't, me personally, and I know it's someone sacrilegious for me to say it, I, I, I really don't like reading research. Um, you know, and I, I, but I, but I respect and, and really gravitate towards the coaches like Brett Contreras or Greg Knuckles, yeah. um, those guys who are very good writers and they can extrapolate the, the, and disseminate the, the research and information. And I kind of like see what they have to say about it and then see if it applies to me. And then, and then I'm able to take their information and, and kind of roll it up in a way that I think is useful and, and, and can relay it to the masses that read my stuff. But, um, but yeah, I, I agree with you. Like there, there aren't many people who are going to, you know, spend a, a Friday night reading PubMed, um, <laughs> unless you're Brett Contreras. Because I know he's bragged about that before. Like I, I've hung out with him several times. He's he's awesome. He's a good friend of mine, and he's literally somebody who will like, yeah, I I read ten research studies on Friday night, and I'm like, great. Like <laughs> like, um, that does not sound remotely fun to me. Yeah. But um. We uh, we had Brett on a, a couple months ago, and it was, it was a great conversation with him because awesome. we yeah. really went down. You know, when you say research and strength and conditioning, you think of him. I mean, oh, he produces a, a research review every yeah. single month. And, and you know, this is a plug for Brett here, but the best ten dollars you could possibly spend. If you don't want to spend a gazillion hours reading research, you get the best fifty articles for ten bucks a month, and you get a one page review on them. It takes an hour to get through. Yep. I would one hundred percent recommend that. But even guys like Brett, it's not all about the research. Like this guy does it for a living and he went on record on the podcast and said, you know, the best questions come from the trenches, the coaches asking the right questions. And only when those questions are answered by research is it significant. Yep. And I thought that was very, very smart. Yeah, very good point. He's, he's a smart dude. He gets it. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty he smart. You know, PhD education. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's all right. No big deal. <laughs> Today's episode of the Strength Doc Podcast is brought to you by... Dr. John Russin's new 12-week muscle gain and fat loss program. You asked for it, so here it is. Everything you need to achieve the body you want for just a fraction of our one-on-one -on -one online coaching program calls. This program has been personally developed by Dr. John Russin, and it's based on professional experiences over the past decade of high-level performance and physique training, doctorate-level education in sports performance physical therapy, and years of combining the best research and anecdotal gym-tested evidence in the health and fitness industry. 
Our goal for the next 12 weeks is to intelligently deliver all the muscle gain and fat loss results of a traditional bodybuilding and body recomposition style program, minus the archaic and sometimes downright debilitating training methods that leave you broken down and hurting in the process. This program and the methods behind it has been responsible for keeping NFL All-Pros, MLB All-Stars, Gold Medal Olympians, All-World Ironman athletes, and professional bodybuilders and powerlifters performing at the peak of their abilities while staying healthy in the process. What does the program include? A well-structured, customizable, and detailed training program spread across three phases, each lasting for four weeks, which is easily readable in a PDF format. Train up to seven days a week and structure your own workout schedule based on Dr. John's recommendations and your specific training goals. This will help you use our strategies and principles to adjust the program to your requirements and start truly making a difference. Detail video guides. Every single training day will be complete with custom coaching notes down to the very last detail of each movement in addition to video tutorials to have you executing the movements just the way that they were designed and nutritional guidance. No program is complete without the focus on nutritional strategies. We're going to work to optimize your daily nutritional intakes to not only expedite your muscle gain and fat loss, but also to enhance your recovery. For more information, head over to drjohnresson.com. Check out our client testimonials and join a community of thousands of athletes that have built next-level bodies as strong and functional as they are sexy. Now, I have to ask you about a couple more X's and O's of training here because uh, people definitely want to hear about two things I think from you is definitely the squat and also soft tissue work. Okay. So which one do you want to tackle? Uh, I guess let's go squat. What do you got about the squat? All right. So you've written, multi- I mean, how many articles? 10, 15 articles on T Nation, probably another 100, all the other websites about oh, squat, squat depth, squat technique. Yep. What do you think the one thing is uh, that really makes a squat effective or not effective from a strength and hypertrophy standpoint? Um, I think my biggest issue with the squat is a shitty setup. Yes. I think, you know, I mean, and we can we can wax poetic on high bar versus low bar, narrow stance, wide stance, you know, all that stuff. And a lot of that's just going to be dictated off one's unique anatomy, their anthropometry, um, what their goals are. You know, and that's my job as a coach to do an assessment and figure that out. Okay, so I'm not someone that is married to one right way to squat. Like me personally, like I, I, I like high bar squatting. It feels better for me. Um, you know, it, it, and I, but that's not to say that I'm against low bar squatting. I, absolutely not. But to me, like when I'm when I'm working with people and like they're 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 either want to improve their performance or their efficacy in the squat or even if they want to if they just want to get bigger muscles whatever um i'm going to hone in on their their setup and i really feel that there's a lot of people who are very haphazard in how they set up where they don't they there's no attention to detail they just kind of get underneath the bar they unrack it you know they they just kind of plot down and do a squat position come up and they they do the reps and they rack it there's their set um no, I, I really do feel a lot of people leave a lot of, of, of weight off the bar that they could be putting on the bar because they're, they're not paying attention to their setup. And, you know, and this is something that myself and a lot of the other coaches at, at, at Cresty Sports Performance talk about where, you know, we try to get people into a little bit more of a, a canister position. Like we've kind of gotten away from that really aggressive 
overarched lumbar spine and yeah. big and big art and big uh, chest out. You know, we and a lot. And I kind of wrote about this today, actually, where the PRI people refer to that as the scissor position, where their pelvic floor is kind of pointing one way, the rib cage is pointing another way, and they're just not in a very stable position. And I was the culprit of that for years as a coach, because maybe you as well, where it's like, what was the cue back in the day when somebody was falling forward? Chest up, chest up, chest up, arch, 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 chest up. And when you think about it, that if you just do that, that's feeding into the problem. They're not in a very stable position to begin with. And then when you're cueing them, arch, 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 chest up, chest up, chest up, you're just feeding into the dysfunction. So, you know, what we've what we did at CSP was really kind of gravitate towards getting people to cue them to own their rib position, like like lock it down, and then also to cue just a little bit more posterior pelvic tilt. Not to the point where I'm telling people not to arch. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just getting people out of that mindset of, of the excessive lumbar arch to the point where it's like super, super aggressive and just getting them in a more anatomical neutral position and getting them to appreciate and respect that canister position and then getting tension from there, setting the lats, pulling down on the bar and then, and then everything else kind of like falls into place, you know, pushing the knees out. You know, I just feel that if people can, can get in and hone in on that canister position, you know, getting, get in a more stable position. And there's a lot of guys out there who are super strong guys like Chad Wesley Smith of juggernaut. Like he's a proponent of this approach and he's a guy that squats over 900 pounds. Right. Um, and there's plenty of other guys that I've talked to, um, in the trenches that, that kind of are in the same mindset. And that's not to say there aren't people who aren't successful with that, with the, with that other approach. Cause there are, you know, and again, it comes down to what works for each individual, their anatomy, um, their leverages. I mean, it, it all is, is in, in the conversation. But what I found that works for all, the bulk of people that I work with is getting people to understand and appreciate that canister position and get them to own pelvic position, get them to own their rib position, get, get and maintain tension, and then squat. And then they're going to see a massive improvement um, and not only their performance, but you know, then they're going to be able to put more weight on the bar, and they're going to get bigger. They're going to get bigger muscles too. So, um, you know, a lot of good things happen when they when they kind of focus in on that. I, I agree a hundred and ten percent on what you said. With the setup being the key to success. Yep. I mean, that could be said for the squat. It could be said for the deadlift or any other movement that you want to say. But I think specifically for the squat, nobody knows how to get into a setup because it's truly a skill. Until sure. you start that eccentric motion of the squat, which is actually the strength movement. So yep. it's a skill unracking the bar. It's a skill generating tension through you know, your upper quadrants. It's a skill generating a posterior pelvic tilt and tension in the glutes and the hamstrings. Mm -hmm. And then once you have that, you can really perform much, much better. It's something we t I talked about on an article a couple of weeks ago I wrote with Paul Carter on T Nation was like five ways that you're screwing up the squat. And I actually said article. that was I read that. Yeah, yep. that was a that was a good one. I called it article of the week a couple of weeks ago on our our strength doc podcast article of the week. You called your own article article. Of the I week. did, I did. <laughs> I made I made a joke about it too. I was like, you know, this isn't all always going to be about my articles. And then at the end of it, I was like, well, it wasn't my article because I wasn't on the byline. But check out the last line of the T Nation article. It says contributed by Dr. John Russin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like, yeah, I patted myself on my back a little bit there. But you know, really, what we got into was a cue that I use uh, with most of my uh, physical therapy clients, but also 
my clients that are sports performance training is the first session, we try to teach the synergistic spiral effect of the upper extremities and the lower extremities. Uh, I wrote about it on T Nation, but it went over people's heads. I don't think people are ready to hear about that. But in actuality, it's just trying to use, uh, you know, the fascial layers and trying to joint position to the point where we can really just uh, have all the musculature in perfect alignment, all joint centrated, and really just to get central alignment so we can just neuromuscularly have as much reactability and as much tensional force through the more proximal structures so the spine the shoulder girdle and then down into the hips and it's as simple as like rooting into the ground with your feet you know everyone says knee out squat knee out squat but it's not really about the knees it's about that uh that hip position and that's something that i always try to coach first and foremost before anyone even gets into the dynamic warm-up because i think it's that important but it's one of those things that coaches out there, you know, I've seen videos even in the last week on uh, Facebook and YouTube that they're coaching people into this huge hyperlordotic uh, lower back position. Yeah, I don't like it. Yeah, I, I mean, like it can it. be argued for a couple sports, which is Olympic lifting, because you have to have that more vertical torso angle. So maybe you have to compensate out of the bottom of that squat position. But for the general public, people just looking to get stronger. Uh, looking to really hone their foundational movement patterns and maybe just add a little bit of a mass. Uh, you have to, like you said, get the right squat pattern for you, and you do that by assessment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I mean, no, nobody assesses themselves. Um, it's really, when's the last time? I mean, we do it as coaches, and we do yeah, it for a living. But if you're training in the commercial setting, I mean, how are you supposed to do an assessment on yourself? Well, I, I worked with a woman last week who came to my my new facility who was like, I've never been able to squat. Like, I can't squat. I can't squat. I can't squat. She worked with all these various trainers in the past who were like working on a mobility. Like, oh, we, you know, I guess you can't squat. Um, and I proved to her that it was a stability issue because mm-hmm. passively she could get into the deep squat position, like soup on her back like there there are positions where i could i could have her do it passively like the scour so, test exactly yeah. scour test i all that like, i was like you 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 can get into the position because if i took the table away or had you you're on the floor and i took you put you upright you're in a deep squat position right now and then what i had her do was just i i took a trx i had her like kind of learn that 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 bracing pattern spread the floor with the feet get, get a better bracing strategy get that canister position know kind of gradually pull herself down to that squat position let go of her support and own that position for two three four seconds and then come back up and it's like you know we just grooved it that way and i proved to her in a matter of a half hour that she could squat and it wasn't a mobility issue like she was she was stretching mobility stretching mobility for years and i was like (laughs) honestly like if it was a mobility and it was a soft tissue or whatever issue like don't you think it would have been resolved by now and she's like, well, I guess. And I was like, it's not a mobility stability. It's not a mobility issue. It's pure stability. Like you lack motor control. You lack stability. We need to work on that. Um, and then she she even told her, so I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm fighting back tears because she was so happy that she could do it. Like she's been told that she couldn't or she's like broken. Right. And I was like, no, the, the point of the assessment is for me to tell you how broken you are. It's for me to prove to you what you can do. Um, and then we're going to build off of that. So, um, yeah, assessment is huge. I mean, I, I assess people's squats all the time and, you know, you just kind of, kind of, we can't be so elitist and like thinking that everyone has to squat one way or this way or that way. You know, everyone is different. David Delanave says it all the time. Different shit is different. Um, 
which is a great quote. It like is. he said, he said it at the fitness summit two years ago, and everyone was like, "Oh my god, it's hilarious! It's awesome!" <laughs> and it's like a quote that like never goes away. Now it's like, but it's so true because he's he's an advocate of asymmetrical stance, and like, right. and and Dean and I talk about that during our complete shoulder and hip workshops, where he's like. Yeah, asymmetrical stance is fine. You might have one foot that's more externally rotated than another. You know, your acetabulum on one on one end is, or on one side is facing a different way than the other. You might be more retroverted, antiverted. Like your hip is a pretty dynamic joint yeah. um, area of the body, and you know, using an asymmetrical stance is is fine. Like play into it. Like use it. Like if it feels better one way, then use it. You're not gonna. The body is meant to be asymmetrical. Um, you know, which is a lot, which goes into some of the PRI stuff. But, but that's not to say we aren't trying to get people in a little more neutral and kind of fixing stuff. But, um, but yeah, I agree. I concur 100% that, you know, I wish more people would, trainers in particular and fitness professionals in particular would, would, would place more credence on doing an actual assessment. Um, it's, it's kind of come, it's kind of confounding why that, that doesn't happen more. I mean, without an assessment, uh, everything's left up to chance. You know, you have to assess, you have to get, uh, you know, that control just so you can see if what you're doing is working and on a segue of what you're doing is working. If it is, if it's not doing something different is soft tissue work. And you're a pro because you already alluded to the stability versus mobility deficits in your squatting example. Uh, I see, I've talked to it about it over and over on the strength doc podcast, but uh, SMR work has been so popularized that it's becoming the biggest time waster in the yep. industry. Totally agree. I mean, you, you're a guy that you've written multiple times on this subject. Uh, you're an advocate for you know getting work done, but also the biggest thing that I saw when you wrote about it was that you have to be doing pre and post tests to see if the shit is working that you're yep. trying to get done. Test retest, and I think. Um, and Eric can speak to this too because I it was one of our the both of us this is our biggest pet peeve because we get at the facility we 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 got people from all over the country and all over the world who would come in because they were hurt and you know they worked with a PT or some other or a physical therapist or a fitness professional who wasn't very proactive um, um, with their approach and and not really understanding that strength training is a good thing and can be corrective in of itself but. You know, we'd we'd watch them warm up, and you know, to the point where they're spending a half hour on a foam roller, <laughs> and 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 to me, I'm like, that is why you're hurt. Is that that mentality right there is why you're hurt all the time? It's because you're you're in this bubble where you feel like you have to roll every little inch of your body before you go train, and that that's that's not a very good approach or mindset to have. Um, and that's not to say that I don't feel like it's that it's not important because it is, but um, you know, I don't think spending 30 minutes on a foam roller is, is going to, it's going to be the X factor as far as getting someone better. Um, <laughs> you know, we need to test, retest, you know, test range of motion deficits, you know, work on positional breathing, retest, you know, work on, you know, I've had people where, you know, they, they lack shoulder flexion and I just have them do a couple passes of SMR on the terrace major and, and they, they increase shoulder flexion. I was like, oh, well, we don't need to crank and yank and, and yank on that joint. It's just a matter of like, you know, releasing the terrace major a little bit or roll the lats a little bit and we get, we get better range of motion. Great. We, that's information for us, you know, but you don't need to be spending a half hour rolling every inch of your body. Um, you know, and that, that's a huge pet peeve of mine. And, um, but yeah, we, and we were all lucky too because Chris Howard is our massage therapist that was there. Um, so we could always just kind of tell people to go see Chris yeah. as far as getting any like direct, like more, um, deeper 
like issues that need to be dealt with because the foam roller is only going to do so much. It's very superficial. Um, a lot of times, especially with our baseball guys, like they need to get a little bit more meticulous with their soft tissue work as far as like subscap and you know doing stuff like that. And you can't get your subscap with a foam roller. Yeah, so no way. You, you need to have a manual therapist do that. So um, not to mention like a lot of forearm work as far as like elbow and UCL stuff. Um, and Chris is very good with that. But um, I couldn't agree with you more that I feel like it, the stuff is important. Like it, I think any reasonable coach in the industry understands the importance of doing soft myofascial release or some kind of soft tissue work, um, especially when you're dealing with beat up athletes and people who sit in front of a computer all day. You know they're going to have issues, but at the same time, uh, we need to get them a training effect, uh, and we need to get them moving, and we need to get them strong. And that that in and of itself is going to fix a lot of shit too. Yeah, people only have so much time to train. I mean, even the pro guys, they only have so yeah. much time to train exactly. and a very limited amount of time in the off seasons. So really every second counts. And if you're, you know, fucking around on a foam roller for thirty minutes, that could have been something that you could have gotten <laughs> yes. a training effect from, like you said. Now, are you programming SMR techniques uh in your dynamic warm up or pre training routines? Not necessarily. Like I, I I mean I have like a, a canned routine that I like people to do on the foam roller. It's like, okay, we're gonna get the hip flexors and the thighs and the adductors and the t-spine stuff like that mm -hmm. um there's there are times where during an assessment like if i like for example if i test someone's shoulder flexion you know whether it's a crossfit athlete or overhead athlete and it's really poor um you know i might say okay we need to spend a little bit more attention to your your lats or your your, your terrace and stuff like that but um if they if, they, if they're in pain and there there's something more insidious happening like i'm always referring out to guys like Chris or Mike Reinold right. or, or people who I know within the Boston area that I know can actually put their hands on people. Um, you know, that, that I'm always referring out to that regard. But, you know, as far as like general foam rolling, like, yeah, like I have people do their foam rolling, they do their positional breathing drills, they do their dynamic warm up, and then let's train. And that, the warm up really takes no more than 10 minutes. Like, yep. it it's not this big endeavor. It's like, I, I want you to get your blood, I want you to get a break of sweat and get your blood going. Like, that's the point of the warm up. It shouldn't, if you're foam rolling for a half hour, you're not warming up. So, um, I, I think that's what people think, though. It's like uh, they think that they need to foam roll to you know drive local blood flow to the tissues no. that they're working on. There's far more efficient ways to drive local blood flow than to be on a foam roller. And the body is more resilient than that. It's yeah. a little bit smarter. Like if we were if we were left to the vice where we had to foam roll to get out every nook and cranny and adhesion in order to function properly, we'd be fucked. Yeah. Like you know the body's pretty resilient. Like you know go train. <laughs> And it makes uh, it makes it that much more important to have you know some properly programmed exercises where you can really just place strategic sure. movements you know first in that workout second build up to your big movement cool it back down you know it makes the training that much more important when you're not dependent on something external like the foam roller yeah and I, and, I, and and that's not to say that I don't use corrective exercise I mean you and I both know that that is important like there is some motor control issues and you know we have to activate stuff and but so i'd rather put that in the actual program than than drawn out this long long warm up you know so i want to get people moving okay let's 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 get the nervous system activated let's get the blood flowing let's break a little bit of a sweat i can still put your correctives in there that i know you need to be doing like prone trap raises or you know back to wall shoulder flexions or glute activation or whatever um but i can pair that with certain exercises so while you're resting um, I call them fillers, 
yep. you know, we, we can, we can, we can still get work done that we need to be doing, but you know, we're, we're being productive with even our rest intervals. Like we're doing something of use that, you know, it's just some low grade mobility or stretch, um, that we can put in. That's just going to be part of the workout and not like make it this drawn out endeavor of a warm up. Yeah, I think it's important for uh, people to realize, too, that you have to have a goal if you're going to use a corrective exercise. You have to have a goal if you're going to use an SMR technique before training. If you're just randomly doing corrective exercises and you don't have, like, an effective way to measure whether you're getting better or not or getting more efficient at that movement, then, like, don't even do it and see where you're at. Mike Reinald talks about that all the time. He's like, you know, we pick – like, why why do our correctives not work? And he he simply (laughs) says, like, A, you you didn't assess correctly or B – you're using the wrong corrective, so why continue using it? Like it's not working. You gotta, you gotta turn the page here, buddy. You know, it's like he—he's—he's. He's, that's one of his biggest pet peeves. He—he's awesome like that. Yeah, I, I picked that up a couple of years from Mike actually. So <laughs> we're in the, oh, we're in the okay, same circle. Go. Yeah. Go. <laughs> <laughs> but it's something that nobody really does. But again, going back to the theme of assessment, even if you're training yourself and you're putting together your own programs, like spend an extra couple minutes like surfing the web and figure out a couple self-assessments that you can do just so you can know if you're wasting your time or you're getting something out of the movements that you're doing. You know, like nobody would squat every day for the you know, next five years if they never got stronger or, you know, more muscle mass through their legs. But it's easy for somebody for five years in a row to do the same SMR techniques over and over and over again before they train, thinking that they're doing well. Yep. Good point. Now, one last question here. Yeah, let's do it. You wrote recently in the last like six months or so uh, on low intensity steady state cardio on T Nation. Now, is that something that is relatively new in kind of your training arsenal or have you been practicing this for years? No, because I like like every asshat in the industry, like (laughs) I I, I jump on the pendulum that goes way to the right or way to the left. Yeah. The answer is always in the middle. You know, I like to say like, oh, I'm like I'm like this non-contrarian middle of the road guy, but sometimes like I have to call myself out and be like, well, I I'm an asshole. Like I, you know, it's only like I was a guy that's like, oh, you know, doing any steady state cardio or any aerobic training is going to take away all your muscle mass, and you're going to learn, you're going to look like an emaciated Olsen twin. Like you know, that's not, and we we know that's not the case. So I think the biggest. Um, uh, proponent of my change of viewpoint has been Alex Viata um, and Mike Robertson who are, who are, but a lot of it goes to Alex Viata um, who is a guy who if, if no one's ever read his uh, the, the hybrid athlete ebook should read it because it's amazing um, and that guy is a freak um, he he I think he he's totaled he's he has a 600 pound squat six, over 600 pound deadlift um, and he runs like a sub five mile um he's a freak and he's like, jacked and he's massive like he's like 240 like seven percent body fat he's he's a he's an animal um he actually came last uh spring to Cresty sports performance they did a one-day workshop and it was amazing it was great um but he he's a big proponent of low intensity aerobic training to build that aerobic base because in, in the sense that that's going to improve your performance in the weight room. And what he means is like literally like when he says low, um, low impact, like, like steady state cardio, like we're talking like heart range range of like 120 to 140 beats per minute, which is like super for some people that's a brisk walk. Yep. Depending on their, 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 their fitness level. Um, and he, in his argument was like, you know, when you look at the physiology of it, like 
there's a difference in between doing hit and the low state as far as like how long the, the blood stays in the heart and like, you know, how we're getting all like capillary, all this capillary stuff. But then also think about it too, from a performance standpoint, um, you know, if you have that good aerobic base, like you're not, your, your recovery is going to be quicker. You're not going to gas out as soon. Um, and honestly, if, if we're being honest with ourselves, like, do we really feel like doing, you know, one to two to three, like 30, 40, 50 minute low, low intensity cardio sessions is really going to be that detrimental. Um, and like he, he also made a good point of saying like, you know, we, we like to use the weight room as like, go, 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 like high intensity stuff. But then we take that and we also do it with our aerobic stuff where we're doing hit sprints, like AMRAP for 400 meter tempo runs. Like it's crazy where it's like, we're always on, like we're, we're very, we're very sympathetic, like right. on all the time. So he's like, we need to use the the low intensity aerobic stuff to to offset all that high intensity stuff. So it, it shouldn't match what you do in the gym as far as the intensity level, if that makes any sense. Yeah, uh, so I, I'll say I agree. But playing devil's advocate, yeah, yeah. doesn't it always come down to people being able to effectively and efficiently go and not wreck their bodies through just shitty movement, whether you're exactly. jogging, whether you're Absolutely. biking, whether you're doing yep. a hit. Yep. Um, that's my only problem with the majority of people that really don't have a focus when they go in, even list training. Um, I, I see list training over at the commercial gym at train at a couple times a week. I see people like crawling up the stair oh, climb or like hanging horrible. on for dear life. Like they're at the <laughs> rock wall. I see people running and it's like, they're all uh, asymmetrical. Their gay patterns, just fucking horseshit. And somehow they think that that's a good thing to do to get their well, cardio. Then, then I, in. it's I like, could, Oh my God. Let me just make the case from if, if, if we're their coach, um, then we could just make the case of like, okay, we can maybe fix their gait and like work on their running form, or we can just pick modalities that don't look as garbage. So yes. I can have somebody push a prowler. I can have somebody do pharma carries. I can have somebody do a body weight, uh, mobility activation circuit that is going to get their heart rate up, but we're going to be working on stuff. I mean, it doesn't have to be running on the pavement or, you know, doing all this other stuff. Like there's, there's, there's a million and one ways to get our heart rate up. And I would argue that the simplest possible fucking thing that we could be doing is walking. Exactly. <laughs> like, I was just going to say that too. Yeah. Like walking is like, I, I honestly, like I feel like from a recovery standpoint and honestly, like it, I feel better when I, when I just walk. And like, if I have like a, if I, if I have writer's block, I can just go for a walk. And it's like, I come back and it's like, Oh, and I, I'm like tapping away on the, on the keyboard. Um, yeah, walking is a very underrated form of, of recovery. Um, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And you can get, you know, you can get your heart rate up to 120, 140 if you're doing like a brisk walk. Absolutely. Uh, and if you uh, just throw a couple uh, incline up on the treadmill, exactly. uh, you can yeah. really work on your gait, make sure it's perfect. And you can get a training effect from it. Like if you're not sweating, like throw a sweatshirt on, you'll get yeah. a sweat going. So it's something that has been a paradigm shift for me and the rest of the staff at Cressy um, in the sense like we've, We've kind of gotten off like, oh, hit. Oh, we got we can only do sprints, and we ha it has to be high intensity all the time. Where it's like now we kind of see the advantages and benefits of doing low intensity, steady state cardio and helping to build that nice aerobic base. And we you know we've seen some nice improvements in the weight room with a lot of our guys, and personally, like me, I've I've been you know I twice a week, like I just go, I might go to the Harvard Stadium and just walk the stadium. Yeah. Um, or I just do some really low intensity, like I might just get on an airdyne bike and do like 30 minutes on the bike. 
Um, you know, nothing crazy, but, um, you know, just getting a little low intensity work in, making sure that it's not matching my intensity in the gym, right. um, just giving my nervous system a break, um, and just getting, if anything, it's just more of a recovery strategies. And that's definitely an uphill battle I bet you guys had to face over at Cresty Sports Performance because one of the old school training methods in baseball is yeah. moderate intensity jogging between yeah, yeah. starts, especially for the pitchers. And it, it kills me. <laughs> it kills bodies. It's garbage. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, that's, no, it's an old boys club baseball. I mean, it's gotten better since we've kind of come into the mix. But, um, you know, yeah, like pitchers are told to run pulls in between starts and like run, 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 run. And we're just like, well, you know, where, when in a baseball game are you running five miles? <laughs> uh, throwing a baseball isn't an explosive endeavor. Like, you need to be powerful. Um, so, yeah, you know, so it's, a, and a lot of it has to do with, like, but still, we, we've incorporated some, because like, it's fatigue too. Like, you got, we have guys who, um, I think Greg Robbins brought this up. You know, he had a conversation with, a, with one of our pitchers back in the day where it's like, oh, you know, I hover around 86 miles per hour. And I touch 90 here and there, but it's really I'm around 86. So, so and then his mind, the pitcher's mindset was, oh, I just need to get stronger and do high intensity stuff, strong, strong, strong. And Greg's argument was like, no, like it's fatigue management. Like you're you're unable to exhibit that 90 mile per hour because you're fatiguing. So we need to build your aerobic base in order to so you can so you recover quicker in between pitches and in between starts and you know and then maybe you're going to get to the point where you can manage 90 miles per hour more consistently um so we we've definitely incorporated it with 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 a lot of our athletes but definitely with more of our our general fitness population clients just because you know you know because the advent and crossfit and like people are just told us go 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 hard 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 um you know, that's not really going to be, that's not really going to bode well for a lot of people to be, to go like balls to the wall all the time. So, um, you know, it's, it's been a paradigm shift, but a welcome one. I'll say that. Yeah, I agree. I was a guy that grew up, like when I was younger, I was a go, go, go guy. I would be lifting multiple days a week and I'd always be doing my cardio. And you know, if a little bit was a lot, I would always go more, more, more. And I'd end up like with a heart rate of 190 on like the elliptical like killing myself and it, it took me like into grad school to kind of figure out yeah, a new you, training you method why your, your deadlift isn't going up <laughs> yeah yeah it's like, it's like well I'm, I'm pretty ripped but i can't get my strength numbers up like yeah. yeah like you wonder why but you always go back and like definitely what you said there's a lot of shifts even you know the best coaches in the world like yourself uh you we change our minds on things and being not too proud to say like hey this is what i think now and i was wrong before yeah. you know that's fine everyone's yeah. growing and I think if you can rationalize it and explain like why you've had that paradigm shift or why you've changed, then I don't think anyone can can bemoan that. At least I I haven't had any. I really haven't had much pushback with that article. Like I think that article is pretty well received for a teen nation. Yeah. Because on teen nation, that's literally hit 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 hit. Um, you know, I was I was kind of scared to. TC was game for it. He was like, Yeah, write it. Um. Cause I felt it was good. Cause I, I'm going to write it in a way of like, here's, here's how this is going to help you in the weight room. Right. You know, I think if you write it in that context, it's like, Oh, okay. Okay. I get it. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's definitely, a um, uh, goes against the grain of what I've done in, in the early two thousands when I just came in the industry where it's like, I was told like, Oh, you gotta do your, your sprint training and hit and all that stuff. And, yeah. um, yeah, it's, it's, but it's good. It's been, it's been for the better. Now I'm going to leave you with one last question. Okay. Uh, what has you excited right now? Like the next big thing in the fitness industry that you think is going to come out of the woodworks in the next couple of years? 
Oh boy. Um, man, what, let me think. Let's see. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really kind of curious about like the, the things like the ad aware, um, and, uh, um, uh, not Adware. What am I thinking? The the Tendo units and stuff like that, where you're you're kind of getting automatic feedback on bar speed um, and stuff like that. Like a Kaiser uh, setup, you mean? Yes. Not not so much Kaiser. It's um. Why am I blanking on the the name? Because we had we had the guy come into the facility not a couple months ago. I'm blanking on the name. But basically, it's a sensor that goes on the bar, and it it, it basically like you're getting instant biofeedback on bar speed okay. and whether or not you're flat and that's dictating your training. So sometimes you might pick a certain load for that workout. And if you're, and if it tells you like, Oh, your bar speeds off, like it just tells you, it's kind of like auto regulation where it tells you, okay, well this might be a day where I need to kind of lower the load a little bit. So I get my bar speed up. Right. Um, so you're just picking proper, uh, training parameters for that day. Um, not that that's anything new. Like I think people have been doing it for a few years, but I definitely see it gaining steam. Um, as far as like, um, people being very kind of into like having instant feedback, like looking on their, their iPhone or their computer, giving instant feedback on their workout. Um, I mean, I think that that's not going to go away anytime soon. Like I'm a little bit old school in the sense like, oh, I just put the weight on the bar and I do it. And if it's slow, then I just take the weight off. But, um, but I think something like that is, 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 is kind of got me excited, a little bit more intrigued anyways. Um, as far as like, cause I've always been like, ah, oh, that's a gadget. I don't, I don't need it. Um, but it, but it, ha- it definitely has me intrigued. I think it's big in sports performance right now. Uh, when I was working it's with called t- gym aware too, by the way, not ad aware. It's okay. called gym. My bad. <laughs> I was like, I just it, remembered it. Is that a t-shirt company? Adware? Yeah, Adware is like an internet like spam mail. Yeah. It's like it's like it's gym aware. Sorry. Oh, no worries, man. But what I was saying, you know, like the high performance athletes, like even like with the Olympians that I was working with over in China and over here, uh, everything the coaches wanted to see analytics on. So we were forced literally to hook up uh, the Kaiser units to every yeah, yeah, single yeah. motion that we did yeah, yeah. just so we could be like, see, they're getting more explosive. But uh, it wasn't necessarily for the good of the athlete. It was for the good of their coaches knowing that yeah. what we were doing was good. But I think that is definitely something that if it could get more mainstreamed, if it could be just Which a little bit more user friendly those units make it more user-friendly because yeah. i mean a kaiser a kaiser machine's fucking expensive but, <laughs> yeah. i mean plus they take up a lot i mean they're not small <laughs> so you have to have a damn um, generator in your gym yeah so you know th- this stuff like the the gym aware and the tendo units are like these little boxes and i've even seen uh some ones that where it's a uh, you it's an it's an app that you can put on your your iphone um, and it's a sensor that's on your wrist and it reads it off the wrist as far as the, the speed of the bar, like if you're back squatting or deadlifting gotcha. and stuff like that. So um, there are definitely companies that are making it more accessible um, where you don't have to you know, spend thousands of dollars on a Kaiser unit. Right. Um, so it, it's cool. Like it's definitely, you know, I'm sure, you know, the efficacy of it, the, the algorithms they use are getting better and better. So, um, you know, I definitely think that that, that is the, the, the trend that the industry is kind of gravitating towards as far as people being more analytic, getting more analytics on their instant feedback on their workouts. You know, it's going to move towards that and also reading more on TonyGentleCore.com. That's- yes, that's <laughs> that, that can never go wrong. Yes. Now, Tony, uh, where, where can everyone find you on social media and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, I just the, said your website. Yeah, the, the website's kind of home base. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm part of the big three. So Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, which you can all get to through the website. Um, there, there are links on the website to all three and, um, but yeah, that's, that's the, the website in of itself is home base and, and if anyone wants to follow me on Twitter or Facebook, I'm pretty active on all three. Um, 
you know, they, I, I would welcome it. It would be kind of cool. I'm, I'm a cool guy to follow. <laughs> I'll second that, man. <laughs> I appreciate you coming on. Uh, this has been great. a killer episode. Uh, it's just time is flying by on this one. But we're going to have to have you on again sometime. Yeah, absolutely. be my pleasure. It's been great. All right, man. I appreciate it. Big thanks to Tony Gentlecore for hopping on the Strength Doc podcast today. If you love this episode as much as I loved recording it, head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. These things really go a long way, and it keeps us bringing on the best names in the fitness industry. I can't wait to see what Tony is able to do in his new setup here, and I really wish him the best of luck up there in Boston and definitely speaking in 2016. Until next time, guys, I'm Dr. John Russin with the Strength Doc Podcast, hosted by UpDoc Media.